You're listening to the Unstoppable Yes You podcast, Start, Run, and Grow series. I'm your host, Carlos Phillip. We've invited seasoned as well as up-and-coming entrepreneurs to share their stories, including the challenges and lessons learned on their journey to building a profitable business. This series is packed with valuable insights for aspiring entrepreneurs. In this episode, I'm speaking with Darylin Smart. Darylin is the owner of Smart Foods Caribbean, a company produces and sells specialty soaked fruits for Caribbean fruitcakes. Darylin is also the founder of Salt Consulting, an agribusiness consultancy in Tobago. Together with her team, Darylin helps startups and small business owners organize their agro-processing business operations to make it more efficient and effective. Welcome, Darylin. Hi, welcome, Curlis. It's really a pleasure being here. You were born and raised in Trinidad, but you consider yourself a Caribbean citizen. Tell us what you mean by that. Well, I was born in Trinidad. My husband is from Tobago, and I love the Caribbean I love the people, I love the islands, I like our potential, and I consider myself a Caribbean person rather than just a one-islander kind of person. You started Smart Food Caribbean. Was there a a life event that led you down that path? Yes, I had a baby. (laughs) (laughs) We had our second child, and my husband and I were working distances apart from each other and we needed to get another vehicle. So we got this other vehicle, but like with most things, vehicle come with maintenance and we didn't consider the gas for the vehicle. So we needed extra money to fuel the vehicles going up and down the highway every day. So my husband started this business initially and then he passed it over to me after a year or two. You also have a consultancy business. So how did you go from having not just the smart food Caribbean business, but also the consultancy? Well, that came about as a spin-off of me founding and chairing the Tobago Agroprocessors Association. When that was founded in 2012, I realized that there were a lot of business people who had challenges just doing basic things, pricing and costing, labeling um, their formulations, how to get into the market, how to do letters and all of these things and spinning off of being the chair and having to deal with the 20 something odd manufacturers in the association the consultancy was booted and I have been doing that since then as well. Well, you're a very smart woman because you saw an opportunity and you seized that opportunity and turned it into a business. So how did you go about financing your business? Financing came from family, friends, personal monies, the odd grants and small loans as we went along. We have been in business since 2011 officially. So we have been over the years going along. When we have grants, if we can qualify, we apply some small loans with credit unions and that sort of thing. We pay them off and family and friends. So that is how we have been growing over the years. You at some point got some loans. Some of them were not necessarily the best loans. So how did that impact your business? 
I, that was a hard lesson because most small business owners think that, okay, you run into some problems or you want to do a new product and you want to do something new. And the first thing you gravitate to is to get a loan to do it. Well, my experiences have taught that some loans taken in desperation are bad loans, very, very bad loans. We did a few of those and it took me a little while of being burned to learn that you don't take loans in desperation. You actually have to critically sit and think about how this will impact your business and how it will bring back the returns that you need to pay off the loans. So that was one of the things that we learned about how to take loans and what loans were good and what loans were not good decisions. Those are all great points. Certainly, you have that debt, regardless of whether or not that new product offering that you um, are trying to bring into market succeeds or fail. More and more, we're seeing consumers are, are becoming more concerned with where their products come from. Is there a growing demand for locally sourced products in your community? Of course, there is a local demand. You hear people talking a lot about um, where our food comes from. We should be more self-sustaining as a region. So I ask the question, what does that mean? What do you want to see? And we found that people wanted to see more local produce on the shelf. They also had a concern about the prices as well. But it gave us insight that People were willing to purchase from um, the region, but we needed to be able to be at a price point that was sustainable for them as a consumer. So the demand for local produce is there. I think people prefer buying from us, but the price point is one of the hindrances that the consumers indicated. And so you sell your products to grocery stores, bakeries, even caterers, right? So how did you go about growing your distribution? Hard work, many cold calls, many cold emails. <laughs> <laughs> what I did was that I really sat down and see who was my ideal client for the products that we were making, who needed it the most. I think for me, I did it back to front. Let me say that because you would have gone to university, business schools would have said X and Y in the way of you going to business. And then when you come out in the marketplace, you realize, oops, they didn't teach me this or they didn't teach me that. If I were to go back to 2011, I may not even have the products that I have right now because what is the best thing for us to do, especially in this season, is do products and services that are demanded. So for me, it is a bit challenging. So now I made these products and I now have to go and look and kind of persuade customers to buy, which I'm doing. And I'm doing pretty well, actually, at that. But I, I wouldn't say that is the ideal and so at some point in your journey, you decided to hire a team. At what point was that? And how did you go about hiring that team? I realized that I was becoming very overworked. It was a one-man show. Even though my husband provided support when he did, he left the business and went back out to work full time. And that left me in the business alone. And I had to do everything. Now, in the manufacturing space, it means that you're sourcing raw materials, you're making it, then you're packaging it, 
then you're carrying it to the supermarkets, you're looking for your customers, you're doing the merchandising, you're doing basically everything. It was a lot. And I decided that my health was also being challenged and it wasn't wise for me to do all of these things. So I started outsourcing some of the laborious tasks. So I hired floor staff to do the manufacturing and I now have a virtual assistant to help me and I'm outsourcing some of my social media marketing. So I am now free to do what I love and that is look for markets, look for customers and engage with the clients and people who purchase our products. That makes perfect sense. And so you know, as you just described, running a business comes with ups and downs. What would you say are some of the biggest challenges you faced along the way? The biggest challenges for us, cash flow. Cash flow was one of the biggest things. Learning how to manage your cash flow, how to represent yourself there in the marketplace is another one. But cash flow was the biggest thing. And in our industry, I see that also is a challenge with a lot of other agro-processors, not only in Trinidad and Tobago, but also across the region, managing your cash flow because our industry is very highly capitalized. We need machinery, we need equipment to make the things better and more sanitary as well. So you have these high capital costs and then you have high costs for raw material as well. So it's managing that with finding the markets for revenue. So that has been one of the major challenges for us growing. Thank God for information, new knowledge, new thought that is getting easier now. You also mentioned, you know, through our conversations that your business had crashed four times in 10 years. So how did you handle those situations and challenges and what did you learn from them? Well, to be truthful, and I I really want to be honest so that the audience can know that entrepreneurship is not a bed of roses. Well, actually, probably is, as some people say, we just don't talk about the thorns on the stems and it is really an up and down. When we crashed, every time we did, I was a wreck because you have all of these societal pressures coming against you, whether you are good enough at doing this, whether you're a failure, whether you really shouldn't be in business, all of these things that bombard you when things do not go right according to societal norms. And I will say according to societal norms, because some of my biggest business learnings were out of those crashes. Some of my most devastating conversations have also been as a result of those crashes as well. But these are learning experiences that nobody can teach you in a book. Some people may have stopped at one crash, two crash. I went to four because I was determined that what I think I'm a God girl. So what God has called me to do in this space, whether I crash a hundred times, I will stay here until I do what he has called me to do. Sometimes we look at entrepreneurship, especially when you see, you know, news articles or you watch videos about folks that are so successful and you don't see the bottom of that iceberg, right? And everything that they had to deal with. What impact would you say the pandemic have on your business? My first shock was that 
the products that I had was no longer deemed essential. That was, how you mean food? How food cannot be essential? It was just like, wow, how can that be a reality? And then because of the pandemic, people's buying patterns changed and um, supermarkets buying patterns also changed. So the supermarket started adapting to the consumer buying patterns and they were buying needs and not wants. And my products were classified as a want based on the price point. It had never been classified like that before, but a pandemic did um, just <laughs> put it into that category. That was the biggest shock for me. What I had to do was to come to grips with that as a business owner and re-strategize as to how we're going now to remain relevant and also to provide needs, the needs for the people now and what we can do with our existing products and adapt it to meet the present needs. These are things that we had to do and had to do very quickly. That's important, right? Knowing when and how to pivot, especially in times that's unpredicted. But you've been in business for a long time. And if you put on your agribusiness consulting hat, have you seen growth in that space in Trinidad or throughout the Caribbean? Yes, there is a lot of growth, but we have a lot of agro-processors still in the micro stage. I would say, I always say, every time I get an opportunity to say <laughs> that agro-processing industry has the capacity to be a solid income generator in our region. We just need to move the processors from a micro stage to a small and medium-sized business so that we can make a greater impact. How do you measure success for yourself as a business owner? You've been in business for a long time. You've dealt with some trials and tribulations and you kept going. So for you, what does success look like? That is success to me. And I never used to think so before because the society has painted this picture of success, of glam, of having a nice house, having this huge warehouse. You have millions of products over the world. But what last year has shown me that the mere fact that I can have staff, pay them, they can buy groceries for their children, during a pandemic is success for me. And I think we have to look at success based on why we are in business and not based on what society says that success should look like. So if we're not like a Bill Gates or if we're not like this one or that one, we are not successful and we are always striving to get to that level to be considered successful. I 100% agree with you. So as you, you know, you look at the young people who might be coming up and they're interested in agribusiness entrepreneurship, what advice would you give to them? Jump in. We need youth in this sector, especially the agricultural sector. The, the region's farmers are aging and we need young blood throughout the region in the agriculture sector. Agro-processing hinges on agricultural produce. 
So our sector cannot thrive and be successful if we don't have a thriving agricultural sector as well. And we need young blood. We need young men, young women who will use technology and be able for us to grow in more sustainable and environmentally friendly ways. I read a statistic the other day where that showed that there are 5 million children in the Caribbean that are undernourished, meaning that they are malnutrition or they are obese. And it comes down to what we feed ourselves. So the young people, we need you to get into this industry. We need you to plant these things that will give us maximum nutrition so that in the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years, we'll have a healthier society. And so what's next for you in terms of, you know, business growth? Where, where do you see your company heading? Export for one. Um, I'm looking more into that and developing more products in the short term, short to medium term, developing more products that really deal with our nutritional needs as a region. And, you know, bringing back some of the things that our four parents would have ate, kept them strong. But because of how long it took for them to make it, we have absolutely no interest in going through that process. My mind is constantly thinking of how we can make that process quicker so that we can benefit from some of the things that our four parents used to eat and have them very strong and healthy for years. So how can our audience connect with you? Well, I am on LinkedIn. You can find me there. Smart Foods Caribbean has our Facebook page. We have, we're developing brand page, Granny's Best, where we are telling our grandmother's history and kind of curating our grandmother's recipes and tips and sayings, passing on from one generation to the other. So you can find me in that group as well, Granny's Best, on Facebook. Where else you can find me? Saltconsultingcaribbean at gmail.com if you need any help in this particular area. And let's not forget your website, gb.smartfoodscaribbean.com. Geraldine, it was indeed a pleasure speaking with you today. I truly enjoyed our conversation and I wish you much success. Thank you very, very much. Thank you for the opportunity. And I want to say, I know that your audience is young. I want to say that, you know, you are valuable. Every listener, you are valuable and you have a valuable contribution to make in this earth. And I really hope by this interview, you are motivated to really do what is burning in your heart to do. Thank you so much for that. And to our listeners, I hope you were able to gain actionable insights that you can use to start, run, and grow your business. To receive new episodes of the Unstoppable Yes You podcast directly in your inbox, Subscribe to our mailing list by visiting our website at unstoppableyesu.com. You can also subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Red Circle, and Google Podcasts.